Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time for our reading in the New Testament. And our narrative comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 51. Here's a brief commentary before we begin narrating. Every morning and evening, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. In the book of Isaiah, the word prophesied that the Messiah, God's servant, would be led to the slaughter like a lamb. To pay the penalty for sin, a life had to be given, and God chose to provide the sacrifice himself. The sins of the world were removed when Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice. This is the way our sins are forgiven. The sin of the world means everyone's sin, the sin of each individual. Jesus paid the price of your sin by his death. You can receive forgiveness by confessing your sin to him and asking for forgiveness. John the Baptist's baptism with water was preparatory because it was for repentance and symbolized the washing away of sins. Jesus, by contrast, would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now Andrew accepted John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus and immediately went to tell his brother Simon about him. Well, there's no question in Andrew's mind that Jesus was the Messiah. Not only did he tell his brother, but he was also eager to introduce others to Jesus. How many people in your life have heard you talk about your relationship with the Lord? We'll also read here today that Nazareth was despised by the Jews because a Roman army garrison was located there. Some have speculated that an aloof attitude or a poor reputation in morals and religion on the part of the people of Nazareth led to Nathaniel's harsh comment. Nathaniel's hometown was Cana, about four miles from Nazareth. Now Jesus was on a mission to save the world, the greatest mission in the history of humankind. Yet he took time to attend a wedding and take part in its festivities. And now let's read all about it here in the New Testament. May 1st, the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 51. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. 
Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth! exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Psalm 102, verses 1 through 28. We'll read here today that the writer felt so bad that he lost his appetite. When we face sickness and despair, our days pass blindly, and we don't care about even our basic needs. In these times, God alone is our comfort and strength. Even when we're too weak to fight, we can lean on Him. It's often when we recognize our weaknesses that God's greatest strength becomes available. We'll read about the birds here also today. These birds are pictures of loneliness and desolation. At times, we may need to be alone, and solitude may comfort us. But we must be careful not to spurn those who reach out to us. Don't reject help and conversation. Suffering silently is neither Christian nor particularly healthy. Instead, accept graciously the support and help from family and friends. Psalm 102, verses 1 through 28. A prayer of one overwhelmed with trouble, pouring out problems before the Lord. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Bend down to listen, and answer me quickly when I call to you. For my days disappear like smoke, and my bones burn like red-hot coals. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I have lost my appetite. Because of my groaning I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far-off wilderness. I lie awake, lonely as a solitary bird on the roof. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down into my drink because of your anger and wrath. For you have picked me up and thrown me out. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. But you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You will arise and have mercy on Jerusalem. 
and now is the time to pity her. Now is the time you promised to help. For your people love every stone in her walls, and cherish even the dust in her streets. Then the nations will tremble before the Lord. The king of the earth will tremble before his glory. For the Lord will rebuild Jerusalem. He will appear in his glory. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. Let this be recorded for future generations, so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. Tell them the Lord looked down from his heavenly sanctuary. He looked down to earth from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners, to release those condemned to die. And so the Lord's fame will be celebrated in Zion, His praises in Jerusalem, when multitudes gather together and kingdoms come to worship the Lord. He broke my strength in midlife, cutting short my days. But I cry to Him, O my God who lives forever, don't take my life while I am so young. Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. But you are always the same. You will live forever. The children of your people will live in security. Their children's children will thrive in your presence. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivesChanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day. Awesome. Well, welcome to Veritas West. As Seth said, as they were leading, um, we're one church with four congregations just serving in various neighborhoods in the city. We're very honored to be here. Uh, We've been in this location for about four months. Um, We started meeting in December, so yeah, that would put us right around that mark. And we're just grateful for um, Upper Arlington Lutheran Church that owns this building, that's welcomed us in, for the other folks um, that we've been meeting in the neighborhood that have just welcomed us in. And so we're glad to be here to, to be present in this place where we're excited to continue to partner with the Refuge Ministries as a lot of the guys are here today, many, many guys that I call friends, and so I'm, I'm very excited to just continue to serve the Lord. But before we move on, uh, first things first, I want to bring up our deacons so you all can just head on up here and uh, introduce them to you. So we're going to pray over them as our text is kind of pointing out... Um, deaconhood, if you will. And so deacon or diakonos, which is the Greek word that's uh, most often used for this in uh, the New Testament, really unpacks um, lead servants in the church. 
And so what deacons were is, as we see in this text that we're going to unpack in a minute, there were needs that arose. And so the, uh, the elders or pastors, they, they appointed deacons as lead servants to basically lead in various ministries. And so before you right now are the folks at Veritas West that are, that are leading in various ministries. And so I'm going to let them introduce themselves and then we're all going to pray over them. All right? Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Nicole Madsen. I have a cold. I'm sorry. Um, I, along with my husband Noah, down there at the end, um, we kind of lead the Connect ministry. So all of the volunteers from greeters and hosts and coffee, um, what we call the arrival team, so the guys that you see in the parking lot and who kind of stand guard outside um, during service just to kind of receive anyone who's coming in, maybe looking for help. Um, so we kind of do that together, but glad to serve you guys. My name is Michaela Pride. I am obviously not the tech person here at Veritas. Um, I am able to do um, art um, and uh, graphic design and photography, along with a team um, over at the main campus in the short north, um, just to kind of get our name out there and invite people to come hear about Jesus. And I'm Emily Britt, and I am the deacon of the women's ministry. Um, so keep your any of the women that are feeling called to lead in this. Um, in the next month, I'm going to be opening up to see if anyone would like to serve with me and really lead the women. Um, I'm meeting with uh, Courtney Snyder, who is the wife of the pastor at Tri-Village, and she kind of heads up all of the women's ministries um, right now for Veritas. And we're meeting this Friday to kind of pray and meet with people there and see where God is leading us. Um, so be in prayer for us, and we can't wait to get that started and see what it looks like for everybody. Hi, I'm Katie Thomas, and I didn't know I would be standing here today. Um, I have been doing social media as we transitioned into Veritas Church. Um, I'm also in charge of the tithe and offering ministry, but I will soon be helping Noah and Nicole with the Connect ministry. Hi, I'm Tiffany Leatherwood. I work with the kids' ministry, the best ministry that the church has. Um, our mission is twofold. First, the kids. Our goal every week is to get some of God's truth planted, even if they're only three to five years old. Um, start young, planting those seeds. And then second, a ministry to the parents so that they have an opportunity to connect with other adults. Other adults. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. My name is Seth Britt. Um, I do the music stuff here. Um, really, it's been cool just to see it transition from like two people to actually like a body of people leading a church family in worship. So really, our goal is just to serve the church well, but also just to lead people well to serve Jesus. So. Hi, I'm Lauren Gabo, and I um, do hospitality. And lately what that has consisted of is meals for people in need. So we've done a lot of that. It's been really cool to reach out to people, um, you know, new moms and people that are sick and stuff like that. So, um, and also we're having a potluck for the refuge celebration. I don't know if it's been announced yet in a couple weeks, so that'll be fun. So, yeah. I'm Rachel Trigo. I am the Deacon of Mercy here at Veritas West. Uh, so that just means how do we love the community, how do we work in the community, how do we address chronic and crisis need. Um, so yeah. 
I'm Noah. I'm the deacon of operations. So looks like two things. One is uh, what I do with my wife, Nicole, during the gathering, um, helping lead the Connect team. So two, two big goals there, to connect and to facilitate. So to make all of you feel loved and welcome as you come in and, and to make the gathering run um, smoothly. And then I also try to do the same thing uh, with this awesome group of people and connect and facilitate us as well. So um, making sure that we're intentional about what we do as deacons, that we, that we are serving the church, because um, that's our primary purpose, um, but also making sure that uh, we're serving each other well. So. So yeah, I just, I wanted to honor each of them because these folks are, uh, I mean, a lot of you are serving, but uh, these folks are serving week in and week out, and they're extending a lot of energy and time and effort, and so they just deserve honor, um, so, you know, encourage them, um, you know, I would just give them words of affirmation and that kind of thing because they just really feel led to serve you guys, and so maybe maybe as they were talking about these different serving opportunities that are currently taking place, um, we need help. And we're glad that you're here. And so if anything within these spheres of service kind of strike you as being something you're interested in, please uh, let one of them know or myself know. And we'd love to get you um, involved in serving this, this community here. And so if you would, just as an act of unity, if you would just extend your hands towards these guys, we're just going to pray for them. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve here in this place. And our hope and our prayer is to be here for a very long time. And we want to do so faithfully. We want to do so um, to honor your name. And so we come together as one church of many in this place, in this neighborhood. But God, we want to do so in a way that just brings glory and honor to you. And that really, really um, establishes roots here. And that loves the people here. And that really proclaims the gospel here. And that's only going to happen through you moving in your spirit, but also through you calling people to be here, to serve here. And I just thank you for calling these folks to serve your church in this place. And I just pray for encouragement. I pray for um, that you, you would just keep them humble, that their passion, first and foremost, would always be for you, that you'd give them just stamina and energy, and that, God, you just continue to bless them as we move forward. So just thank you, Jesus, for blessing us with, with such great leaders and great people that love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all. Yeah, the slow clap. <laughs> it's like you got to just own it. You got to like do it or not do it, you know? So, uh, yeah, so th- hopefully this, this text is going to be important for you today. And we're breaking it up into four parts. And so I think we see four different things. So if you're new tonight, we've been going through the book of Acts. One something that we like to do at Veritas is just go through books of the Bible. And so we're looking at the book of Acts, and we've landed on Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. And so we see this particular situation take place. And really, the first big idea that we see in this is, is this importance of teaching, preaching, and prayer. And so I'm going to break this text up a little bit. And in chapter 5, 42... And then in 6.2 and 6.4, it says this. So verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. 
And then if you fast forward to verse 2 in chapter 6, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And then in uh, verse 4 it says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what's going on here? There's a a dilemma that's taken place. And so are the disciples to be corrected for their desire to devote themselves to prayer in the ministry of teaching the Bible? Are they being insincere? Are they maybe being a little harsh? Well, what I think we need to notice is that, so what can happen if we're not careful, is that because needs will arise, like we see in chapter 6, verse 1, the church can then become overly um, distracted from its primary responsibilities of preaching the word and teaching and, and begin to address other issues that come up in the church and in the community. Now, pause button. What I'm not saying is that these are the only things that matter within the local church. Um, that preaching and teaching and prayer are the only things that matter. That's not what I'm saying. But what we have to notice in this text and in the New Testament in general is that there's a high, high priority for preaching, teaching, and prayer in the New Testament. The church is called and commissioned to proclaim the gospel through words, through speaking, through proclaiming, through preaching and teaching. I mean, if you were to look ahead to Paul's pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy and Titus, you would see and hear Paul just exhorting the early church to do these things. Exhorting the church leaders to labor in these things. And so we see this taking place. Um, he tells them not to forsake the gathering. Not to, not to quit teaching the people the word. Because he says these things will edify the people. They will correct the people, rebuke the people, encourage the people in the gospel. And so in our text today, we see the importance of these three things. Preaching, teaching, and prayer. And these things can't be neglected. In 542, remember it says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That the Christ is Jesus. So notice, it's interesting that this is written in a way that these things are unpacked as being something that's done sacrificially. It's constant. I mean, look at the language. Uh, preaching, teaching, and prayer. These things were happening every day. They happened in the temple. Or to put it in our context, at, at a gathering like this. They happened in, from house to house. And it says that, that they did these things without ceasing. It was constantly taking place. And so what we know is that preaching and teaching was a continual role for these pastors of the early church. For these elders of the early church. This was their primary role. Their primary role. Now, it wasn't their only role, but it was their primary role. So they would, they would definitely be a part of, um, what, like even to make it more modern, like what you see in a, in a weekly church gathering, they would meet with community organizations and they would counsel with folks. They would do all those things. But their primary role and their responsibility was that of preaching, teaching, and prayer. We fast forward to verse 2 again. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And verse 4 again, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So basically what they're saying is, Yes, we see that there's need here, but we cannot meet this need by neglecting our first responsibility. 
the Scriptures must be taught faithfully and regularly. Also, the pastors must continually pray for the church and pray for its people. And certainly, the pastors aren't the only ones that do this, but they most certainly should be ones that would set the pace in these activities. In prayer, in preaching, in teaching. And so for us to be a healthy church, we must not ever forsake preaching and teaching and prayer. These must remain as a constant activity within the church. They're not, only, they're not the only activity, but they must be a constant activity. Lest we forget why we labor. Lest we forget why we gather. Or what our purpose is as Christians. Right? It would be very easy for us to start meeting needs, but forget why we're meeting them. To begin meeting needs and forget that we do all these things in light of Jesus and the gospel and the word of God. So we must proclaim the word of God because in a fallen, sinful world, we need the constant reminder of the gospel, of the centrality and the importance of Jesus. We must be reminded of what it means to live in light of our faith in Christ, because of Christ. We just sang over and over again about how it's by grace alone. And also we should, we should be learning and we should be growing more and more into Jesus' image and likeness, living out our new gospel identities as worshipers of Christ. Now we become family as the church, servants to His mission, missionaries in this world, in our context, where we live, and learners, always growing and becoming more like Jesus. So we see the importance of preaching, teaching, and prayer. The second thing we see that we have to notice is that we see the importance of mercy. We see the importance of mercy. So chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now what Jonathan Edwards, who was just one of the best preachers of the past couple hundred years, he said this, and I think it's true. He says, namely, that there's no command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms than the command of giving to the poor. Hear that. Edwards says that there's no command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms than that of giving to the poor. Now what is poverty? What is poverty? For some of you, you've been, you've been uh, you know, what does it mean to be poor? Some of us, we've been engaging in a mercy and community development class on Wednesday nights. And um, on week one, two weeks ago, we were given the definition of poverty. And it was unpacked that there's four kinds of poverty, right? There's poverty with God. There's poverty with ourself. There's poverty with others. And there's poverty with creation. And so when we understand this, when we really begin to understand that, and we're not going to go in depth in that, but when we understand that, we'll realize that we are all in some form of poverty. Meaning that none of us come to God without need. We all come to God with need. And so poverty with God means that we're separated from God and we need to be brought close by Jesus. Poverty with self. I mean, we see this all the time. We experience anxiety and depression and fear and doubt. Poverty with others. This, this looks like broken relationships, infighting, gossip, just relational breakdown. 
poverty with creation. This looks like hunger and unjust systems and education just failure and environmental issues and physical poverty. And so we might tend to think that we might tend to think of poverty in terms of just stuff or things. And that certainly is a part of it. That's something that we should, as Christians, address. But through a gospel lens. And when we see poverty through the lens of the gospel, we realize that we are all poor in some sense. So it's not they're poor and I'm not poor. You may certainly be more well off in, in, in certain cases than others, but we are all in need of Jesus and we must be reconciled to God. Beckoning, you know, God is beckoning Christians to the ministry of reconciliation and alleviating poverty. Poverty with God, poverty with self, poverty with others, and poverty with creation. And so here in our text, we see this idea of this importance of mercy. So what's mercy? What's mercy? Well, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says this, and you can read along on the screen. It says, in the New Testament, a very descriptive Greek word is used for Jesus' mercy towards the needy. And as you see, we see this in various places within Matthew, the book of the Gospel of Matthew. It goes on, it expresses his pity and compassion by means of an intense verb, literally translated, to be moved in one's bowels. Now the Hebrews regarded the bowels as the center of the affections, especially that of the most tender kindness. So our Lord is thus described as being fervently moved in his inner feelings of benevolence towards the needy and spontaneously acting to relieve their suffering, to heal, to raise the dead, and to feed the hungry. We see this all over the gospel. We see this all throughout the New Testament, don't we? Especially in Jesus' ministry. You look at the gospels and you see the Son of God, you see Jesus extending mercy to lowly people. Jesus show, he shows compassion for the weak, for the elderly, for the sick, for the demon-possessed, for folks that can't help themselves. He shows them mercy. Jesus spends time with orphans and prostitutes. Think about it. Jesus didn't just tolerate these people. He listened to them. He gave the poor his attention. He prayed for the poor. He became one of them. Jesus moved from the beautiful suburbs of heaven. He came to the inner city, to the rough neighborhood, where we are, where sin and folly abounds. He put on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation. He came to be with us. Matt Chandler says, We serve because Jesus has served us. His service should melt our hearts and cause us to serve others out of sheer gratitude to Him. That's the appropriate response to His loving service to us. So what we realize here, friends, is that true gospel-infused mercy and compassion only begin to take place because of the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We never love other people well. We never love other people truly out of a servant heart until we grasp the gospel, until Jesus changes our hearts. And so I would exhort you to pursue a relationship with God, to ask Him to make you more like He is. 
And you will begin to care for the things that He cares about. You will begin to care for the people that He cares about, which are broken people. Because we're all broken. And we can only do that effectively when we first realize that, that, you know, we can only help other folks, we can only help broke people when we realize that we too are broken and in need of His grace. So back to the context of, of our Bible text. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Faith Life Study Bible says, Widows often could not survive unless immediate family members provided for them. They usually qualified for assistance from the church. Overlooking the need of Greek widows indicates serious tension in the early church. And so the church was stepping in to meet the needs of the people in their community. This is what was happening. They, they were not doing a perfect job at it. Isn't that cool that, that we see even in the Bible, they weren't a perfect church. They weren't a perfect church. They struggled. We're not going to get this perfect, but we strive to glorify God. We strive to serve His people the best we can. So the early church was growing. Folks were being overlooked in in care. And so the pastors appointed deacons. So the third big idea is we're going to unpack briefly what, what does this office of deacon look like within the church? And so in verse 3, 5, and 6, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then all these names, right? And they laid their hands on him. (laughs) So at Veritas, at our church, Jesus is our senior authority. He's our senior pastor. We're led, taught, and then, so under Christ, we are led, taught, and prayed for by a plurality of elder pastors. At our congregation, as of now, I'm the only congregational pastor, but at Veritas, we have 11 pastors. As of today. There were nine, two more were just, um, just became pastors today. And so underneath the pastors, we appoint deacons to lead, serve in specific ministries taking place in the church. And so, basically what that means is that at Veritas, the deacons are lead servants, leading ministries and initiatives. And we see the same thing taking place right here in Acts chapter 6. The same thing's taking place. There are needs and deacons, folks who are already leading in service, who have the character qualifications that you see in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. They're appointed to lead in specific ministries. And so, deacon is an office of authority within the local church. And it's usually focused within a particular ministry, a particular focus. And so, in our context, at West, you just heard, but what that looks like, what that means is mercy and community development, connect ministries, family and kid ministries, music, creative, and women's ministry. And so by God's grace, as our church grows or as needs just simply arise, we pray that, you know, we have more opportunities to serve our congregation and also our community. So when these new opportunities arise, we will pray and we will appoint deacons to lead, serve in existing or new ministries. So no ministry at our church will happen without the blessing, oversight, and just care of the pastors, but also without the leadership and calling of a particular person, a particular deacon. 
And so one of, one of the biggest distinctions, and I'll just name two of them, between pastors and deacons are this. Pastors are required to be able to teach. And this is coming from 1 Timothy. Pastors are required to be able to teach. Deacons aren't required to be able to teach. And then secondly, pastors are responsible to lead the whole church. Deacons are responsible to lead specific ministries. And so there's not a huge difference. There's not a huge difference. So does this mean deacons are less important? Absolutely not. The roles are just different than that of a pastor, than that of an elder. So with, what that means is that without spirit-empowered, passionate and called men and women, deacons, our church will not be able to function in health. Why? Because without gospel-empowered deacons, pastors are going to burn out because all, all ministry becomes bottlenecked by them. Needed ministry does not happen or is done poorly. Engagement in the local community is subpar. And the congregation is led into unhealth, which isn't a word, but I made it up. You're welcome. We're led into unhealth. And, and we see Paul gives us this, he gives us this metaphor of, of the church being like a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul uses this metaphor of a body to describe the church. Elder deacons and members articulate this biblical idea very well. Meaning we all have unique value as image bearers of God, but we have unique roles and responsibilities to fill in order for the whole body, the whole church, to be healthy and to function in excellence, to function in in order. A healthy body has all of its parts functioning the way they were designed to function. The same is true for the church. The same is true for the church. And so God may be calling you, even now, to engage in God's church. If you feel that, know that we need you. We're praying for you. We're praying that God would lead you here. We're praying that God would continue to bring folks that love Jesus to the west side to do ministry, to serve, to love people, to serve Jesus' church here. This isn't just about Veritas. This isn't just about me. This isn't even just about the deacons. We want to glorify our Lord here. And that happens through God's people. That happens through you. And so we we're praying for you. If you're a Christian, ask God to begin leading you to where you need to commit, to where you need to serve, to where you need to engage in community. And then the last point, which is cool. Verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase. So the last point is disciples multiply. Disciples multiply. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So check this out. The church addresses the problem, right? They appointed leaders. They appointed deacons. And what happens? They grew in health. They grew in health, right? That health led to the disciples and apostles being able to continue constantly proclaiming the word of God. And what happened? The text tells us the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So ministries were being led by qualified, gospel-centered deacons. The pastors were able to labor in preaching, teaching, and prayer. And the number of disciples increased. 
This wasn't transfer growth. This wasn't just, you know, Christians jumping from one church to another church. This was truly non-Christians becoming Christians. People that did not have faith in Jesus putting their faith and hope in Jesus. And we see that, and then check out the last part of verse 7. Really interesting. It says, And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Faith Life Study Bible says, The church's influence corrodes the power base of the religious leaders. So even the priests, even the religious leaders begin to convert to faith in Jesus. This would have been scandalous, but it's incredible. It's incredible. The rabbis started putting their faith in Jesus. So in this text, we see the importance of teaching, preaching, and prayer. But we also see the importance, the importance of mercy. We see the, the office of deacon, the deacons being appointed by the early church. And then we see blessing. We see disciples multiply. One of my pastors growing up taught that authority creates, authority creates order, which allows the church to function, which ultimately leads to blessing, right? Authority, order, function, blessing. We see that happening in this text. The disciples and the apostles, they didn't quit preaching the word to go take care of all the needs of the people. Certainly, as pastors, even us now, we want to labor to our best to serve whoever we can, but not at the expense of what God has called the church to be, right? And so they appointed deacons, and then both things were taken care of. There was authority established, which created order out of the chaos. The body functioned well, and blessing came from it. Meaning, people came to faith in Jesus. People came to faith in Jesus. Praise God. And so my prayer for you, I just want to encourage you to be praying that God would be glorified here. That God would be glorified at this church. That God would be glorified in this neighborhood. That God would begin to change people's hearts here. But God would be, begin to continue changing men's lives in the refuge. And that you would pray for your pastors, but you would also pray for the deacons in the church. Because they face a lot of just constant stuff. We'll just call it stuff, right? And so pray for them. Pray for them. Encourage them. And, and ask the Lord how He might be leading you to engage in this community, in this church. We need you. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. So if you all would, as we're talking about prayer, just let's all bow our heads together and pray. God, we thank you for your grace. You're good towards us, even though we don't deserve it. Help us to be amazed by that. That this wouldn't just be something that we, that just becomes a norm. That we say, yeah, that's great, and we move on. That, Lord, we would truly be just have a, a, a posture of gratitude that you've welcomed us towards yourself. Not because of anything we've done, but because of grace. You've extended mercy to us. And our heart is to be able to show mercy to others. And so I just pray that we would, be a, that we would become more and more a healthy church. That we'd be a church that welcomes in all people. That people would feel your warm embrace and your love in this place and in this neighborhood. You're calling each of us, not some of us, we're all missionaries. We're all called to live out the gospel where we live and where we work and where we interact with people. So help us to see that and live in light of that. Amen.